are man-eating sharks in every ocean. But we still swim. Every second, somewhere in the world, lightning strikes. But we still play in the rain. Poisonous snakes can be found in 49 of the 50 states. But we still go looking for adventure. A car can crash, a house can crumble. But we still drive and love coming home. Because I think deep down we know all the bad things that can happen in life, they can stop us from making our lives good. In the face of risk or uncertainty, even fear, do you seek to live life to the full or does fear define you? Everyone faces fear, but it's how we respond to that fear that shapes who we are. So what's your response? Do you still seek to live life to the full? Or does fear make you less? It's important to know because fear actually can make us less. It can impact what we see, limit what we see. It can make us less in what we achieve. It can lessen us in areas of growth and experience. The makers of the commercial we just saw assert that leading life to the full and living life to the full can lead us to overcome the fear that would limit us, even in the face of uncertainty. We still swim, even though there's sharks. We still play in the rain, even though lightning strikes. And we still drive cars, even though they crash. Yet there are far more significant things that we can often miss because of fear. Bigger opportunities we pass by because of fear. Because we simply don't understand that what we do with fear determines more than our safety. Welcome Heritage Church to week three of Bold Crossings. So far in our journey, we've looked at two specific examples, defining moments, bold crossing moments for the people of God in the Old Testament. Each of those moments have had very real fear. And today we're going to go even further in their journey to look and understand how they responded so that we can be a people who live fully and boldly for Christ. Because the nature of our relationship with God is revealed in how we handle bold crossing moments. Let's just take a moment to go back to where we left off the Israelites last week. They had crossed into the promised land after 40 years of wandering as a direct implication and consequence for balking at the original crossing. They have crossed into that land. Now they are, they are a new people with a new leader and a new modus operandi that God gives to Joshua. In fact, God shows up to Joshua and he says, be careful to obey everything my, ser my, my servant Moses commanded you. Do not go right or left of that, then you'll be successful. In verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And then in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says this. He says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
Fear is a reality of life. Everyone faces fear. If it wasn't a reality of life, we wouldn't need courage or a call to it. Yet God very specifically gives clear instructions to his people about stepping in courage, and with it, he gives a beautiful promise. And it's a promise of his presence because he knew that his people were getting ready to face some of their greatest fears. Now, I don't know if you sitting here today can think of a moment, perhaps, where you had an opportunity to do something, and because of fear or hesitancy or insecurity, you either didn't handle it right or passed altogether on it. When I was in college, I spent a summer working as a wilderness instructor. Absolutely loved it. It was backpacking, rock climbing, canoeing, extreme camping, minimalist camping. I mean, it's the kind of stuff most people say is not fun. I loved it. It was great. Now, I remember in the weeks of training we had leading up to that certification, we were one day moving along Lake Superior as a group of of soon-to-be wilderness instructors. And it had been raining that day, and as we moved along the shoreline, the water was out to our side, we hit a tributary, just a creek. It wasn't that big. It was about 20 feet across, but because it had been raining, it was swollen, and it was running hard. And as we stood there looking, knowing our destination was just on the other side, many in the group started to talk about, we can't get across. We've got to find some other way. There was a tree that had fallen, and we thought about maybe crawling over that, but the group was pretty well set on not crossing. And, and I, in that moment, I'm thinking, we can still do this, and, and I don't want to walk further because we just need to go over there. So I recruited a guy in the group, and we thought that we could lead the group across. I convinced him to join me, and we said, here, come on, folks, we can do this. And so we took off our shoes, rolled up our pants, took off our backpacks, held our backpacks over our head, and we stepped down into that water. And for the first two feet of that journey, everything was going really well. At about five feet in, that water was just above chest level. About two steps later, we hit a soft mud ledge that sent us three feet down under the water. We came up gasping for air, flailing, grabbing our backpacks, but we kept fighting and just stroking our way across, just trying to swim through that, getting pushed down that creek. But we made it to the other side. We climbed up that mud bank, threw our backpacks down, turned around victorious because we had made it. And we were like, come on, let's go. We looked back across the rest of the group who just had their mouths standing wide open. And, and, but I, I was impressed with our leadership initiative and our moxie. And I'm like, this is awesome. Let's go. And we were cold and dripping wet, but we made it. And then, I, then my eyes caught the eyes of our instructor, Ken. And he did three things that changed my perspective of that encounter completely forever. First thing he did was he smiled. I thought it was affirming my demonstration of leadership. <laughs> The second thing he did was he took off his shoes and rolled up his pants, which I thought he was just following my example. But you know what he did differently from that point? Instead of going across the creek, he walked towards the lake. Then he walked about 15 yards out into the lake, made a left-hand turn, walking along the piled-up sediment from the mouth of that tributary in knee-deep water without any effort or, or, or exhaustion at all, then made another left-hand turn and walked back into shoreline, barely getting the bottoms of his pants wet. I was impressed and embarrassed. Guess which way the rest of the group went? They followed the one who knew how to get them there. You know, we may want to go somewhere. We may need to go somewhere. We may want to to leave the past behind us and cross into a new season, but not know how to actually do it or try to do it on our own and in a way that actually makes things worse. 
And I think we can all think of a moment in life where we have handled an opportunity poorly, done it wrong, or missed the opportunity completely, at least once. Because of fear or uncertainty or even just recklessness, we miss the opportunity or we don't do it right, and it costs us. But defining moments, bold crossing moments, are too important to mishandle. It happens. It happened for the Israelites more than once. Yet because God loved them, he frequently gave them another shot at it. And when they took it, he showed up in big ways. And the same can be true for us today. So let's just go back for a moment to where we left the Israelites in their bold crossing journey. They had crossed into the promised land. They were in a location that was called Gilgal. It was on the west side of the Jordan near a fortified city named Jericho. They were about to face some of their greatest fears. Now, we already said fear makes us less. But I once heard somebody say say that fear is the thief of dreams. And I think that's true in a lot of cases. But I believe a, a better, deeper understanding of fear is simply that it is a thief. Fear is a thief. It's a thief of dreams. It's a thief of really just about anything that's good. Fear limits our thinking. Fear limits our actions. Fear causes us to doubt, which causes us to delay. When we delay, we miss opportunities. We miss opportunities, we lose our confidence. We lose our confidence, we end up stuck even worse than when we started. Fear is a thief. It makes us less. But listen, courage makes us more. Courage overcomes the thievery of fear. Courage can recover what fear has taken. But if we're not careful, fear can diminish who we are. Yet there is hope because overcoming fear with courage will lead us to freedom. That's why the Lord said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. He knew they would need it as they stepped into facing their fear. One of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis, and he once said this, Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. I like that. That resonates deeply for me. I mean, without courage, we can't practice any other virtue with consistency. At best, we'll be hit and miss without courage. Let's just backtrack for a moment to the journey of the Israelites. Without courage, they never would have left Egypt. Without courage, they would have never crossed the Red Sea. It was because they lacked courage they didn't cross the Jordan the first time. And it was because they had courage that they crossed the second time. But now they're having to move at a whole other level of facing fear and demonstrating strength and courage as empowered by God to do so. Because they had to overcome Jericho. This fortified city. This monstrosity of an obstacle. Now you may remember, they tried to enter the promised land one other time before. When they, when they failed initially, they tried to recover by going in, and they were beaten and defeated. They tried to cross in another place. Now they're in this place facing a much bigger obstacle, probably the biggest obstacle of the entire process of, of, of taking over the promised land itself. 
It was Jericho. It was the biggest obstacle. But there's something about obstacles and the people of God that we need to understand. And that is that the strength of our God matters more than the size of our obstacle. It's the strength of God that matters more than the size of our obstacle. You see, all of the people crossed into Gilgal. Gilgal became a base of operations for what they're about to do. And one short time later, after they were in that place, Joshua was out near Jericho, and a man shows up. The man has a drawn sword. And what's Joshua do? He runs, right? No, that's not who Joshua was. This is the guy who was challenged by God to be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you. And so he boldly confronts the man to find out if he is a friend or foe. He says, are you with us or with our adversaries? Now, the man's response is kind of improper to the question. He says, no. I mean, literally what he says is, uh, no, for I am Prince of Jehovah's host. Now I have come. Now, he's not quite like saying neither. What he's doing is he's ignoring the question because it's the wrong question. The question wasn't whether the man was with Joshua. The question was whether or not Joshua was with the man. Because this, this was the commander of the army of the Lord, the Lord himself. And it's in this moment that Joshua sets a tone in, in worship and obedience and submission that will define this next season for the Israelites. And out of this exchange, they receive their first set of instructions for their first mission. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to grab it and turn with me to Joshua chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, it's in your sermon notes guide, but we're also going to throw it up on the screen. We're looking in Joshua chapter 6. If you're starting in the New Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. If you judge too far, back it up, back into Joshua chapter 6. Starting with verse 1, here we go. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. Let me just pause there. Fear makes us less. Remember? Fear makes us less. Verse 2, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Well, alrighty then, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> okay, here's, God has brought them into the promised land in front of their greatest obstacle. This thing is ominous, it is immense, and he has a really strange plan. But it's a plan that will require total dependence on God. It's a go big or go home moment for his people. It's a bold crossing defining moment. Now, I can only imagine the conversations. There was probably mixed conversations, pro and against this crazy plan. What are they thinking? What's this going to cost us? This is ridiculous. We couldn't even do this if we were doing it in proper military tactics. But the plan was bigger than them. And they would fail if God didn't show up. But when you take a big plan and a big God and you combine it with bold obedience among his people, well, now, my friends, you've got the fixings for a miracle. But here's the thing. Just think about what they were facing. They had, if they could have, 
If they could have gotten a small group into Jericho to open up the gates and allow the army to rush in and face the, the army inside face to face, that would have been really good. But even if not, here's what military tactics would have said would have been the plan. You recon the thing, which they do. You get that information back, you form a plan that then you determine to attack probably at dawn. So you attack the fortifications and you set up what is, what is basically a siege operation. And you continue to assault the fortifications until you can infiltrate them. Then you eliminate leadership and you contain the forces. That would have been a good plan. But God said, no. I have a totally different plan. And his plan ran against every logical thinking of military tactics in that day. And the reason he was doing it is because he was testing his people. See, God did not need the Israelites to do anything to defeat Jericho. He, he didn't need them to circle the city to bring the walls down. He needed them to circle the city for themselves. He was testing them. And the beauty of this moment is that they were already committed to doing what God wanted to do in the way he wanted to do it. And you can always expect amazing things when you have a people to live that boldly for God. So here's what happens. The people obey. They circled Jericho once a day for six days. Every day facing their fear, looking ridiculous and silly, marching around this town. Exposed, ill-equipped, letting the enemy count them. Any element of surprise is gone. They do it once, a day, once, a time, once every day for six days until they get to day seven, and then they do it seven times. And that's where we pick back up in the scripture. Joshua chapter 6, verse 16. The seventh time around. As the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Verse 18, Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. We'll unpack that next week. Verse 19, everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Verse 20, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. The Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Woohoo! Nice. That's a page turner. <laughs> Look. The true nature of our relationship with God is revealed in how we handle bold crossing moments. God was teaching them to be a people who obeyed even amidst fear. And once again, he was proving himself big enough to a new generation who had to learn it on their own for themselves, not just from the stories they heard in the desert. Now, there's a few important truths here that we need to understand. First is that God moves, removes great obstacles through simple obedience. God removes great obstacles through simple obedience. He removes obstacles through simple what? Obedience. obedience. The Israelites faced their fear. They fully obeyed. And as a result, God moved. They didn't allow fear to make them less or to miss God's greater purpose like last time. They responded to fear with courage and obedience. And that's when God showed up in a big way. And he wants to do the same for you and I today. If we would simply choose to live courageously in full obedience, 
everything could start to change in our lives. If we would step away from that addiction that we struggle with, if we'd step away from that unhealthy relationship that we know we shouldn't be engaged in, if we would step away from that unhealthy habit that is displeasing to God, dishonoring to Him, God would show up and bring the walls of those personal Jerichos down. Because he removes great obstacles through simple obedience. That takes us, in fact, to the second truth. That most of us are one bold move away from a breakthrough. Most of us are one bold move away from a breakthrough. One defining moment from victory. One key crossing from greater freedom. The Israelites had a history of not making those bold moves. They had missed breakthrough moments before, but not this time. The victory at Jericho was the start of a new season where fear and doubt were replaced with strength and courage. And we can experience the same thing if we make the bold move that is before us. But the problem is we often don't. Do this with me if you would. Imagine a quiet pond. Just a little pond with a a branch just above the water. On that branch are three frogs. Nothing exceptional or unique about the frogs, just normal frogs on a branch above a pond. You have that image in your mind? You got it? Okay, a short time later, two of the frogs decide to jump in the water. Now, that image you have in your mind, you can still see the water, you still see that branch that had three frogs on it, but how many frogs are on it now? One, three. There are still three frogs on that branch because deciding is not doing. Deciding is not doing. Say that with me. Deciding is not... Deciding is not doing, my friends. The Israelites not only had to decide to obey God, they actually had to go and do it. They had to circle the town looking silly. They had to shout at the walls. They actually had to move beyond decision to action. And the same is true for us. We may decide to obey, but it doesn't mean we actually are. We may, in a similar way, decide to follow Jesus, but that doesn't mean we're actually living in a way where we are following Jesus. Deciding is not doing. There's a difference. So let's just go back for a minute to those three realities. That God removes great obstacles through simple obedience. Most of us are one bold move away from a breakthrough, and deciding is not doing. With those in mind, let me ask you this question. What is your next bold crossing? What's your next bold crossing moment? See, a life of faith and following Jesus is filled with bold crossing moments, littered with them. So what's your next Jericho? What's, what's that fear in front of you? What's that big thing? It, perhaps it has to do with an illness or a disease like cancer. Maybe that's your next bold crossing. That's your Jericho. Maybe it has to do with a personal loss or problems at work or marital conflict or kids in crisis or some opportunity that's out in front of you that is a life-changing decision. What's your Jericho? What's the the biggest, baddest obstacle in front of you. That thing may be the the breakthrough moment for you as you determine how you're going to respond in the bold crossing moment. 
Perhaps it's related to a big endeavor as you're thinking through, what's that moment for me? Maybe it's an opportunity in front of you that is big. It has a lot of risk with even bigger bigger obstacles. And God's calling you to step boldly. Perhaps for you, it's, it's a wound. You've been wronged. You've been betrayed, cheated, abused. And now you're, you're in the edges or down deep in unforgiveness. And those walls of unforgiveness are, have you trapped and you can't get beyond. Maybe your bold crossing moment has to do with a previous failure. And so fear and insecurity and uncertainty loom in front of you like the great walls of Jericho. But as you think about that reality, that obstacle, that issue in front of you, I want to remind you of what God said to Joshua. He said, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. My friends, whatever you're facing, you are not alone. And whatever God is calling you to, he will equip you for. All he's asking is that you take a simple step of obedience so that he can remove the great obstacle and lead you into all that he has for you. Listen, God can raise up great strength for the future from the greatest weaknesses of our past. Let me say that again. God can raise up great strength for the future from the greatest weaknesses of our past. It's what he did for the Israelites, and it's what he wants to do for you and I. And yes, even for that thing that seems like an impossible and insurmountable obstacle. Because we serve the God of the impossible. Who once said in Mark 10, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Everything is possible with God. What's possible with God? Yeah, buddy. And why don't we live that way? And why do we allow fear to make us less? So what? What do we do with this? I mean, the reality is we all face bold crossing moments. We have big moments coming. Even as a church, we have some big moments. One big moment is pastoral vote. As a congregationally led church, congregation, the membership votes into key decisions. And one key decision is leadership. Key leadership positions are elected in our structure. Now, March 22nd and 23rd is our pastoral vote. That's a big moment for us as a church. And I want to encourage you to be part of that and to bring your voice to the table and to speak into that journey. There are a lot of reasons, good reasons, to to engage at a deeper level in membership. They relate to issues of belonging. And I would love to talk more about that later. But in this case, membership relates to the ability to, to bring that voice to the table as it relates to leadership decisions, leadership realities, who's in leadership. And I want to encourage you, if you're not a member, to lean into exploring what it looks like to do that so that you can have a greater role in the body, greater level of belonging, and to speak into the journey. On the 22nd and 23rd of March, everybody will have an opportunity to vote. I want to know what everybody has to say. But the reality is, only those of membership will be tallied in the official vote. Every vote matters, but only membership will count. So if you're not yet in that, I encourage you to lean into exploring what does it look like to be committed at a deeper level in this body, in this family, as God leads us in this next season. That's a big moment for us as a church. Now, let's back this out as we look at Scripture from today. What does it mean for us individually? 
What's the challenge? What's the so what out of this? And I think the challenge is simply to take your next bold move. Make your move. Take that opportunity to cross over. And I think there are three key ways that we do that. First is that we move and cross over from you to him. From you to him. From your way to God's way. From horizontal to vertical. From running ahead of God to walking beside him. You to him. The Israelites had to make that shift. They went from trying to do things their way to his way, and everything changed for them. It's, it's one of those creek crossing moments. You can either cross with your backpack up over your head getting wet, or you can follow the one who knows how to get, it, get you there and his leadership by moving from you to him. The reality was for Israel that they had to be conquered by God before they could conquer any other part of the promised land. Before they could conquer anything in the promised land, they needed to yield and surrender to God's love and his authority in a way to be conquered by him. And I think that's actually one of the reasons that many Christians struggle is because we get stuck short of letting God conquer us with his love, of submitting and yielding fully. It's why we struggle with habits, addictions, behaviors, and cycles. We have not been conquered by God, not, yet, not still being conquered by God. We're still trying to do it us as opposed to doing it his way. We need to cross over from, from you to him. It was in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, that Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is, I knew, I no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, that's the crossover from, from us to him. And for some of us today, that crossover from you to him is to receive Jesus as your Savior, to acknowledge the failed bold crossings in the past, to acknowledge the sin and the messed up stuff of your life, ask him to forgive you for that, invite him into your life to be Lord and Savior with a commitment to say, I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to move from me to you. And that's your next bold crossing. And you can make that decision right now wherever you're at. You can have that conversation in your seat. God, forgive me for the stuff in my life. I've messed up the sin in my life. I ask Jesus to be Lord and Savior. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And that puts you in a beginning journey of moving from you to him. And I hope you take that opportunity. The second key crossing is to move from fear to faith. From fear to faith. God said in Isaiah 41, Don't be afraid, I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. God invites us to move from fear to faith. It's a choice. And whatever you are facing today, God wants to enable you to be strong and courageous. God told Joshua to be strong and courageous three times. Now, for some of us, just hearing those, we're like, got it, can move on. But most of us, we need more than that. Just be strong and courageous isn't enough of a, like, what do I do? How do I function out of that? To just say, just be strong and courageous is like saying, be fit without exercising. Or be smart without studying. Or be full without eating. Some people can step towards that more quickly than others, but most of us need to be intentional in our pursuit to develop things with God and allow God to develop things in us. And so to live by faith instead of fear means that we pursue Him. It means we spend time in His Word. It means we pray. It means we study. It means we gather in worship and engage in spiritual disciplines and pray again. And the reality is the more time we spend with Him, the better He is able to work and transform us so that we live boldly with strength and courage that He provides. It's not easy, but it's totally worth it. 
And the Israelites spent a number of years preparing to face their Jericho. And in the end, they were positioned to step boldly with courage and strength. God is calling us to a similar journey as we move from fear to faith. Finally, we need to cross over from simply deciding to doing. Deciding is not doing, and believing is not obeying. We must respond with action. It's living scent. Like, like the frogs on the branch and the Israelites around Jericho. Without action, nothing happens. Without faith, without deeds is dead. And God always goes before those who obey. In fact, Jesus once said in Matthew 7, he said, not, actually, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Now, that's some pretty heavy, tough truth that we could dedicate an entire series to, but let me just summarize it this way. God's best requires obedience. God's best requires obedience. Obedience precedes victory. Obedience precedes blessing. And deciding to follow him is not the same as actually doing it. So whenever we fully obey God, God goes before us. He paves the way. When God sends a people, he shows up and he provides. And as a people and as a church, a people who are seeking to live loved and live linked and live sent, what we need to do is move from, from us to him, from fear to faith, and from just simply deciding to actually doing. That's the opportunity before us. If you have failed before, I want you to know it's never too late to get right with God. You can come back. It is my prayer that we as a people would be doing things His way, marked by faith and bold obedience. I mean, can you imagine what God would do with a whole group of people that lived that way? For Him in faith, in action, bold action. He's responded to that before in the journey of the Israelites. I know He would respond again to a people now who would choose to do that and live that boldly. The question before us is, will we actually do it? Because here's the deal. We may say we want to follow. We may say we believe. We may say we want to obey. But the true nature of our relationship with God is revealed in how we handle bold crossing moments. And how you handle that moment that's in front of you matters. And likely will ripple into eternity. But I fully believe in your ability to step in his strength and his courage and watch him do the miraculous and to see those walls fall. But it first takes a simple step of obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that even when we have failed to cross, when we've balked at bold crossing moments, even when we've wandered away, when we've doubted, you have never given up on us. You have continued to love and pursue and no matter how long it's been since we have been faithful to you, you wait for us to return through your son, Jesus. And I pray, Father, today, as my brothers and sisters process their journey and look at what their next bold crossing is and, and try to unpack what their next Jericho is, and they start to begin to take steps in response, I pray that we will be marked as a people who seek your way in faith and bold action. God, you are bigger than anything we face. Your love is greater you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. And I pray that as we as a people step in this next season, 
I pray you're able to do all that you want to do in and through us, that we would be the people you want us to be, doing what you want us to do for your glory and honor. I love you, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.